0: Hi, this is Kim Shea. Welcome to Pivot and Thrive. Today is June 12th, 2021, and I get to talk to John Tang today. He's the author of a book called Hero Mindset Becoming the Hero of Your Own Adventure. And this is really cool how he ties this all into the hero concept in his book. He also is not a slacker by any means. He is uh, can speak about the midlife experience. He's a publisher of Max Life Magazine. Uh, as I said, he's an author. He's also a husband. He's a father of four. He's a civil engineer. He's a physique competitor. He's a dance champion. He's also got a podcast going. And I'll give you all of his contact information at the end here, so that you can find him and, and follow him on various uh, modes. But let's welcome John and see what he has to offer in terms of how he can give us some tips on how to get through midlife and beyond here. Welcome John to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Kim. Yeah. So tell me about your background.
1: Well, um, I am the child of a father from China and my mother's German, Irish, Scottish. So I've always felt like I've had the, the, this rich culture from the East and then also the wonderful privileges and freedoms of uh, growing up in the West and I think it's also kind of give me a curiosity for different cultures. I speak three languages, I wow. Mandarin Chinese and Spanish and and then also a little bit of English. and so I travel the world and I and I get to meet people and I think part of that has kind of helped to spark this interest when you mentioned off some of the things that I've done. it's there's so many people to me and cultures to to experience and things to do that. I named the company live extra to inspire people to live life extra. We only get to go around once. And I wanted to kind of be that forefront example of trying to squeeze the most juice out of this, out of this life as possible while we can.
0: Oh, that's great. I like that. That's a really good uh, model for living. Yeah. So how, how did you come to write a book? How did that, that, how'd that all come about?
1: Well, I live a charmed life, Kim and, and, um, Been able to live in a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood and as I've traveled the world. And so, really, from the outside looking in, I think a lot of people, if they didn't know me well enough, they would say, Well, this is the life that I'm aspiring to live. But not all has been well with me. There have been challenges internally that I've had to deal with with my work, with my personal life, and certainly things we could get into later on in the conversation. But got me to the point where even all those trappings and all those, those, the trophies and the accomplishments, the plaques on the wall weren't able to compensate for how miserable I felt inside. And it got to the point where I was so bad and feeling, and this is a perhaps a dynamic that a lot of men have to suffer in silence, trying to work through this, this conflict, these issues on my own, and really not coming to any solution that I felt was viable. My wife really put a challenge in front of me and she said, John, you, you have to figure this out. You need to go outside and find help or really this marriage is over. Mm-hmm. And so kind of pushed up against the ropes, Kim, I, I reached out to a psychiatrist and it was a, for me, it was a very difficult thing to do because I considered myself a very strong, capable, independent person like most men do. Um, and in that in and of itself that was a very heroic thing for me to humble myself and to sit down and to say I'm broken I need I don't mm-hmm. know what to do next. Yeah. So in that com- in that conversation with a psychiatrist explaining to him the details of why I felt so desperate and hopeless he he provided an answer and said, "Well, that does seem very desperate and that does seem very dark. You it looks like you have one of two different options that you can consider at this moment." And the first one being that of perhaps a character in a Greek tragedy. You are in a Greek tragedy. And as the storyline of a Greek tragedy progresses, it continues to get increasingly more tragic. And that's where you're at, John. If you were to leave my office now, he said, good luck to you. And I wish you the very best because you're on a very, you're on a very bad track. He said, but the other way you could take this same circumstance, you could reframe, reframe your perspective to that of being, The hero on an epic journey. Mm. And I thought, well, what does that mean? I, I, the first, the first, you know, um, uh, thought that came to my head was the, the movies that I watched, the the superheroes and the magicians and, and uh, the science fiction, how does that apply to me as a middle-aged man raising four kids in the real world? And the more I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, the real heroes in this life aren't these, these superheroes wearing the capes and they're the, the, they're the mothers and the fathers who are raising children, perhaps without a spouse, perhaps without the financial assistance of someone else to help them, but are doing their darn best to raise that child or children the best that they can. Our first responders, the military that serve overseas. And I realize there are so many just everyday people who are living heroically And so I took that concept and moved it further and said, well, if I'm this middle-aged man and I were to be this hero that was going to embark on a journey, what type of perils would be in front of me? And what type of tools do I have access to that I could take with me? And who could I recruit on this journey that would help me at least a portion of the way from step to step? And perhaps what type of map could I take to kind of guide me from place to place? And so it, it all just kind of opened up from just that one conversation with a psychiatrist of of how I personally could embark on this heroic journey and how so could, could my midlife men and women peers do the same.
0: Mm, That's awesome. And in your book, you talk about uh, being willing to make changes if you're comfortable that a person who's comfortable might not be willing to seek out this type of a journey or embark on it to begin with, because life is okay. You brought up that point. That was interesting.
1: I don't think anyone would raise their hand, Kim, and say, "You know, I would. I would now like to be uncomfortable, and I would like now to get to this next higher level of enlightenment in my life." Life just has a way to inflict that upon us. And what's yeah, interesting true. is, what's interesting is that my logo for Live Extra in the middle, the X, is actually a butterfly. I so saw that. The, bu- the butterfly actually is very significant to me because if you think about this transition from a caterpillar to a butterfly, this is a this. This metamorphosis, it, it, it embeds itself within a chrysalis. A chrysalis is where it sleeps and makes this transformation. And I don't know what happened, but I pulled three letters out of the word chrysalis and compressed the word back down. And it sounds just like crisis. Hmm. And I thought, well, this caterpillar, in order for it to move on to the next level of its own life cycle, it was required to go through this crisis. And I think there's a lot of men and women in this world who I could certainly definitely speak for the men, Kim, that are not willing to go through that trauma, that transformation. And they make very destructive decisions in terms of drug abuse, other type of addictions, pornography, extramarital affairs, even suicide to short circuit that next step in their In their growth process but had they been given the resources or the hope to realize that there is light at the end of that tunnel of that transformation there is so much good so much happiness and excitement that's waiting for them and that's really what i wanted this book to be for them to understand that you needed to have that crisis to be able to it was required and demanded as part of your life cycle to get to this next higher and more enlightened phase of your life
0: that's a good point. That's a good point that you raise. And quite honestly, I don't think there are too many hero movies out there where it's just an easy life for the person. They just suddenly become a hero. They usually overcome a lot to become that hero. And that that is part of our journey. That's, that's great that you you uh, emphasize that in your book. Um, so you said you have a civil engineering background, right? You're a civil engineer. And you, you've come up like your approach to this has been very civil engineering, I mean, just very engineering the way you've, <laughs> you've designed it and you've thought, well, here's my map. And you talk about that in your book and you talk about landmarks a lot. Can you explain that?
1: Well, thank you for saying that I, um, there's a, there's a difference between a benchmark and that's a term that's really used in the business world. I think a lot of people, even life coaches probably, here's a benchmark. And I don't think a lot of people know the difference between what a benchmark and a landmark is. A benchmark is actually something that is temporary. So we could have a benchmark here for this week that we set and then we could exceed that. We could move to another benchmark for the next week. It may actually go above. It may actually go low. It may go sideways, but it's a temporary metric. Whereas a landmark is something that is permanent. It's fixed. It's immovable. It is something that can always be looked to constantly. And that is something in terms from an engineering standpoint, when we're building a structure, we have to know where we are in space, right? So this is a a structure we want to build, but who, where are the property lines? Where are the obstructions that are in our way? And how do they fit into what we want to build and how big we can build what we want to build? So you have to understand you ha- that the whole point of having a map is to first understand where you are on the map. And as you think about, as you try to travel to a destination, you're using the GPS on your phone or in your car. There's no way for the, the computer to calibrate where to go if it doesn't first know where you're at, and as I talked a second ago about going to see a psychiatrist and and asking for help, that was a very raw, difficult experience for me to humble myself to do that, but what it did Kim was it allowed me to understand where I was on the map and if you don't re- if you're not willing to be real with yourself, how did I get here? how much of this is my fault as opposed to other people's fault until you understand all those different dynamics. There's no way it's impossible for you to progress on your own hero's journey. So it allowed me to do that, to find out where I was on the map. And then from that point to calibrate along the landmarks that I discuss in the book.
0: That's, that's a really good point about knowing who you are and where you are right now to really assess what you are and what you have to work with going forward to. Otherwise, you're kind of in denial. It's probably hard to move beyond that point. That's a good point you brought yeah. up there. Can you give me an example of some of the landmarks that you're talking about?
1: Well, what, what I did, and they're in no particular order of priority or importance, but I put them in an A, B, C, D, E format just to make them easier to recognize. So the first one is to be accurate. And that's what we just discussed about understanding where you are, how you got to where you're at, And where you want to go for the future. So to be accurate with yourself. Be real. Number two is to balance. A is B is balance. And during this phase of life is really where maximum balance is required. I talk about all the different responsibilities that a a typical man or woman has in their life. It's max chaos. And there are so many things that need to be balanced. There's a, there's a, a false idea out there that you can have it all. That you can you know, be the CEO in the boardroom and raise your kids and tuck them into bed and make dinner for them and go to all their sports games. That's impossible. You could probably do that on a short term basis, but unless you're bringing in, you know, you know, um, addictive drugs to kind of keep up the pace and not (laughs) sleep, you know, you're not going to do that for very long. So balance. And how do you do that appropriately in a healthy manner? C is to control, because at this phase of life, I'm in a position, and I know a lot of people, it's all relative, Kim, but as an adult, we are building expertise and influence and connections and power and authority. And what's happening is a lot of these men and women are they're abusing that power and that authority, that strength that they might have over someone. If it's physical, maybe it's from a monetary standpoint, maybe it's emotional. And because they do not know how to control and harness that energy, like nuclear energy, if if they do not know how to use it to light a city and to power a hospital, they drop drop it onto the ground and it takes out 10 million people, right? So it can be harnessed appropriately, but so many people make uncharacteristically bad decisions during this phase of life and do not. So that needs to be discussed to control your power, okay? D is to have a destination, you know? So like, where are we going? Alice in Wonderland. The the, the Alice gets to the fork in the road, sees the cat and wants to know which direction to go. The cat asks, well, where do you want to be? And, the, and, and Alice says, well, it doesn't matter. So then the cat says, well, then it doesn't matter which path you take. I think a lot of people float around like leaves in the wind without really being clear with what they want to do and what they want to accomplish with the limited time that they have left on this earth. And until you know that, the best computers and GPS cannot help you unless you're able to plug in where exactly that you want to be. So the book helps that person really be clear about where they could go and be the happiest. And, every, and everyone's path is different, Kim. But yeah. at prep, ultimately the hardest part is to E endure to the end. And you know, think about all the different people who set up plans to go to the gym in January and the gyms are packed. And then a month later, you know, it goes back to normal. To, to you know, the normal, the, the 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 usual suspects, because they set a grand plan, but they don't follow through to complete. And what people don't understand is, is that to follow through with something that they set, there is going to be some misery involved. It's going to be difficult. And um, our family has a has a, I guess it's our motto, Kim, that we we've uh, adopted is to embrace the pain, and mm-hmm. our life is very painful. I we talked before we even restarted this recording here about my own mother and, and caregiving her during her dementia and then her untimely death in a nursing home and raising four kids during the coronavirus, being here like little house on the prairie, having to homeschool four <laughs> kids on a computer while I got a day job as a civil engineer trying to finish my book. Yeah. That's yeah. max pain. That's that's that you must be willing to embrace the pain if you are going to get up the next day and and do that again so there must be a willingness to just accept that as part and parcel of the process to endure so a b c d e these are the five landmarks that i discuss on what i refer to as the midlife map
0: and they go into great details in a chapter on each one which is really interesting and um let me, let's, let's, if you don't mind, go back and talk about your mother for a second. So caregiving is something that a lot of retirees and middle-aged people face where, wherever their plans are, they may have the map thinking they're going here, but then all of a sudden they get the responsibility of caregiving. And so how did that derail or dovetail with what you were doing?
1: Well, as we talked earlier, you know, I, as I, finally finished this book after six long years of research and toil and contacted a wonderful PR agent who, who has been so supportive to me. I sent him out the first round of books to, to mail out to influencers. And the very day that I sent these books out, I received a phone call from the nursing home that my mother was living in saying that my mother was being sent off to uh, uh, being sent off to the emergency room for, for an accident. And Two months later, my mother died, mm. and so being excited, all excited to finally be able to promote this book that had to be shelved, to help navigate all the. <laughs> it's still so near to me. You know, it's only been a few months since that happened. It's, it's very, very painful to me. Um, This is another th- kind of an aside here, Kim. But as I speak to you now, in front of me on my mantle are my mother's ashes. And I haven't even had a chance to go back to New York where we grew up, uh, where she raised me to plant them in our family plot during this coronavirus, you know, that we've been through. So we'll have a delayed funeral for her. But does ashes sit there on the mantle, Kim, to remind me that life is short, that now is the time to live extra? And they'll remind me, you know, during this time while while I prepare to go back. It, It wasn't just... In promoting the book, but for many years, as her dementia got worse, of being able to navigate a very difficult process that you you know very well, all the government agencies that are involved that that can that can be of assistance, but they're not all connected with each other. Sometimes the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Yeah. And with two parents who were divorced, never remarried, almost simultaneously calling me one within a week of each other saying, Johnny. I need your help.
0: Oh, boy. And
1: then that became the process of me as the only surviving uh, child. My sister died of leukemia when she was five. So I, it was on my shoulders to take care of two divorced parents on both sides of the United States and to navigate what that was going to look like. That has been a detour in my life for the last five years. And I've, mm. but I've continued to do my best to prepare the book and to raise these four kids and have a relationship with my wife now of 17 years. But Kim, I've had to embrace a lot of pain.
0: Sounds like it. It's been yeah. a lot of
1: pain, but, but fortunately for me, I have always known what the destination was going to be. Okay. And I knew in my mind, like what I was trying to accomplish, but I knew that part of what needed to be done at this time was to care for my parents. I, I, and this is a, this is an interesting thing that probably doesn't get said very often. There is a selfish reason to be of service to other people. I talk about it in the book. There is certainly the altruistic because I want to do something, but there's another side and it really is what drives me. And I could be judged any way anyone wants to take this. And that is from a selfish standpoint. I want the credit. I want the cosmic credit, the karma Mm. Of doing good, even when darn it i don 't want to do it there 's a lot of things in my life that I do that i don 't want to do and I think if a lot of people really just came to that conclusion that you were going to commit yourself to do stuff that you don 't want to do it 's easy to do the things we want to do, but to really say in that moment i 'm not i don 't want to do this but i 'm going to do it anyways, <laughs> and really half of really what i 've The action items on my list on a daily basis over the last five years are things that I've not wanted to do, but that, that need to be done to help others and to move my own narrative forward with my own life and to raise my kids the best that I can. so now we're down to one parent and this one parent is in that same situation as you talk about being the caregiver and, and trying to be of the best that I can for him. But I, from again, from a selfish standpoint, I want my children to take cues from how I'm dealing with, my parents through their health issues because Perisha thought if I'm in that situation, I want them to treat me the way that I hope I'm providing care to my two elderly parents, and that's a selfish thing. And I'll take it for what it is. You know, I, <laughs> I want that service, and I I want it to come around <laughs> to be of service to me down the road. So,
0: yeah, wasn't well, that one of the reasons we each had four kids? Hopefully my, my goal is like one or two of these kids is going to come through for me.
1: (laughs) I hope so. I hope so. We're throwing some darts here. I got a couple. I think, I I think I'm at 50% myself of who's going to come back.
0: That's good. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. And so you just, you just stayed the course though, even though it feels like you've been derailed by caregiving. It sounds like you still stay the course and pick up where you left off when you can.
1: That's right. That's right. But I, but, but make no mistake, you know, there've been a lot of moments where I've just felt like I've, I've wanted to escape. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a lot of ways that men can use to, to try to escape. I mean, extramarital affairs, pornography, drugs, just checking out, you know, depression. There's a lot of things that pull on them. I'm speaking from a guy here, but this certainly I'm speaking also at, to human beings of things that you would want to dull the pain. But you have to be very careful because those things then ultimately, if you're not clear about what your destination is, those things are easy to fall prey to. So that's why that's so important to really have that long game in mind, the long game of really what we're trying to do in the end here. We may not get to that. You know, there's no there's no saying what the next day will offer. But without having that long game in your head, it's very, very easy to get lost in the day to day struggles and the pain. So. It's very important the map in in the way I've described it, and certainly just just having that bigger picture in your mind is so crucial during this phase of your life
0: yeah it it really is because then you're never really truly off track or you just there's just little detours along the way, but you're That's still right. going towards your epic journey there do you Do you try and teach your children that about the long game
1: i do i Ah, uh, they 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 criticize me because I'm I'm always talking to them. We we, we I'm big on the drugs, <laughs> so I'm have my big on role playing. So we'll sit down to dinners, you know, once a week. Uh, what well, we sit down most evenings, but once a week, I'll bring up a message with them to talk to them about peer pressure and drugs and really understanding what their own mission in life is and and playing to their own talents. You know, I'm very. I have a master's degree in civil engineering. My wife graduated from a top ten law school, but we are both under the impression that our children do not need college educations. If that's not in the cards for them, there are so many wonderful vocations that pay well that are fulfilling, and a lot of edu- a lot of college educations really don't pay well for the the amount of debt that you end up coming out with. So, to be very clear about that, we we want. To customize we customize our parenting to each one of our children and try to play to the talents that we see emerging from them and and really try to encourage them to develop those the best way that they can with no with no end game in terms of like how they're going to get the education. But just know that they we want them and they have a responsibility to develop the talents they've been blessed with.
0: That's really great. So you're, you're part of the sandwich generation. I'm sure you've heard that term before where you're right in the middle. You've had your kids and now you've got your dad too. So that's pretty cool that you're still staying the course and doing all the things that you're doing. Can we talk about your, um, your physique competition? So is this, has that been part of your, your change as part has that been part of your journey or is that something you were working on before all this started?
1: No, that's been part of the journey. Um, The men's physique category is a relatively new one in bodybuilding where you wear board shorts down to the knees. It's not a speedo. And so in terms, in terms of kind of in lieu of the huge, overtly big muscles, it's more of kind of what I described, kind of like a muscular underwear model. And they have a version of it for men and for women. And I'm, I am severely motivated by fear. (laughs) Fear motivates me in life. And so the visual to visualize myself getting on stage and not looking the part, at least as close as possible on a physique stage and people throwing vegetables at me (laughs) scares me to death. And so it motivates me once I set a date and I pay a fee to get ready for a particular show to do my very best to prepare for that. So that's what kind of keeps my physical, the physical side together is really having a target of a show and the prepping and the, the the food and the nutrition that all goes into that, the organization that it requires. So it's, um, I've done probably eight or 10 shows up to this point and coronaviruses coronavirus has definitely slowed things down for me here, but, um, I'm 49 years old at this point now. So, but I can still compete and I still have momentum and, and, um, it doesn't have to be for a physique w- competition, whether it's golfing or tennis or walking or racquetball. I highly encourage all of your listeners to to really find something that they can connect with on a regular basis to help take care of their health. I I have a quote that's in my book that talks about physical exercise really being the best antidepressant, you know, mood enhancer, sex improver, every aspect age defier really exercise eliminates so many problems in a person's life. If they can just find something that they can regularly embrace, whether it could be a five minute walk around the block, but if you're doing that consistently, it's man, it's going to go a long way to helping you in in so many aspects of your life.
0: Yeah. I find it can kind of just take the edge off. If you're feeling really sad, really angry, just kind of take the edge off a little bit, which is really nice. You talk about assembling a team in your book like it sounds like a team of of a huge team of experts who are going to help you. And you talked about that when you're, laying out this whole epic journey in the beginning, this hero journey is that you're going to have a team that's going to help you along the way. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Well, you know, to go it by yourself is very difficult. You know, a lot of the listeners here might not be married or they were married in the past. Maybe they're by themselves. And I don't want them to get the impression that they have to go this journey by themselves because such is not the case. There are so many resources that are available to all of us. If we just leverage those, You know, and I put them in an alphabetical order in my book, not out of importance, but just, you know, to kind of thumb through it as a reference guide. But certainly family and friends are two of the top ones to be able to to refer to. But I even get into like a massage therapist or uh, a cosmetologist, um, someone who cuts your hair, someone who's mowing your lawn, who can take away some of that time in the weekend that you're that you're wasting Uh, that you could spend, it could be your doctor, you know, perhaps, and, and I'm the first person to say, if plastic surgery is something that you feel like can benefit you in your life to, to improve your look or your, your self image, as long as you've gone through a doctor and gotten their approval on that and you feel good, I I see nothing wrong with that. You know, even a car, I mean, think about your car. You take, you got this car, it goes in and it gets a detail and it gets an overhaul and our bodies are so much more sophisticated than a car but how how do we how are we taking care of our, our own bodies our cars are perhaps better maintained than we're taking care of the oh, human yeah. body yeah. so addressing those things so these type of resources can take people especially during this phase of life perhaps maybe when you have a little more resources to to use that to leverage that to help you to have a higher quality of life going through the midlife years
0: I like that. And that doesn't have to all be about you. No. So yeah, that way you've got other people to build with your team. And um, I belong to a network group and we always say you can go faster by yourself, but you'll go much further with a team of people. It just helps you. So.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: That's good. Um, Tell me about philanthropy. You talk about that in the book too.
1: Well, um, I think part of, What got me out of my hole as I I kinda I started this conversation about saying I lived a charmed life, and I and I do, I still do. But I think part of what I had a problem with is I was so me-center centric. It started out with being the John Tang show. And I think what I lacked, a portion of my problem was is I didn't have significance beyond what I was accumulating for myself. Certainly I, there's a lot of sacrifice and character building and raising four kids as much as I don't want to be a parent. Sometimes like I'm forced to be that role and to care for them. But inherently I think I'm a very selfish person. Very. I got a big chip on my shoulder. I think in life, I think cosmically has put a lot of trials in my way because I do have such a big ego. Hmm. And I think that's been part of what has Put me in the situation that I was with all the things that I had going for myself to realize that you need to do you need to think more about others. And I think this journey of creating this book and this narrative with live extra to talk about the struggles of living through midlife has been so therapeutic for myself. I, I'm not joking when I say like there'll be times where I'm struggling and I'm on that cliff myself again of feeling so desperate that I'll read through my own book and say, what did I say about this?
0: That's awesome. this chapter.
1: I think there was something <laughs> that I mentioned about this that I should go back. Well, that was profound, John. <laughs> <laughs> You're so smart, but I have gone back to that to kind of help be as a reference guide to myself. But I have just felt so, I've, I've just I I've, I felt so validated by so many people saying there's so many of us who are suffering out there who don't know where to turn for help on a particular thing. And this message has has helped them. And that has helped me feel fulfilled in a sense of of serving of, of the philanthropic aspect of giving back to, to men and women. If I were to die tomorrow, Kim, and, and certainly that could happen to a 49 year old man raising four kids and two jobs. I feel like I've left something to the world that can help them along their journey. However long it lasts. And I'm, and I, I feel so good about that. I feel like I've, I've really left bequeathed something to mankind. And I hope they feel the same way as they read through the book and follow the map. It's, that's brought great meaning to me in my life. Yeah.
0: That was a great place to be in. So do you feel like this book has been your purpose in life?
1: I don't know if it's, if, I don't think it's the purpose in them. I think I have a lot of different purposes, um, but I do feel like it is, it it has touched on that philanthropic nerve in terms of the balance of my life, right? Of giving back to other people. This is definitely check that box of, of, of giving back to others, sharing my experience, you know, as I talk about living this charmed life, what I did mention to you is as a child, I, I did grow up in poverty. I mean, I've, I've been sexually assaulted twice. I've been kidnapped. I celebrated after my parents divorced uh, my my first Christmas with a in a black trash bag full of used toys. And as I opened them up and cried, my mother sat there in tears saying, Johnny, that's the best I could do for you. She ran out of the room. And as an eight-year-old boy, I had this this feeling inside of me that, John, this is on you. What you're going to do in your life is going to be on your shoulders. It's up to you to make that happen. And um, with my sister who died of leukemia when she was five, like I've come, I have a spectrum there, there, there's so much to the story besides the trappings of living a, a, a charmed life. I really feel like life has beat me up and, 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 it taught me up to this point to reach out to a lot of people wherever they happen to be at this stage of their life on the whole spectrum i didn't want that to happen but that's just the way that life worked it worked itself out so it's definitely prepared me to be the the front face of this message on the hero mindset
0: mm, wow i had no idea that your journey was so uh Challenging from the time you were so young, that's really interesting because you do talk about that you have a charmed life, and so it makes it seem like everything was easy, but it was not so for no. sharing that
1: yeah it's uh it's it's interesting how it's all kind of come together at this point to zoom back at life. There's another concept that I mentioned here about um our future selves, and there was a very deep uh a dark time in college where I suffered through a mercury poisoning I didn't know what it was. It was from one of my concrete experiments in civil engineering. But four years, I suffered through mercury poisoning in college, and there was times when I just felt like I just I need to end this. I need to end my life. I can't survive. It's I can't think. I can't remember. I can't get out of bed. If I go home and I leave college, there's no way I'm ever going to come back because none of these doctors, you know, in my college campus area know what to do to help me. I'm doomed. So I I just. Embraced the pain and continued on, but there were moments where I felt so desperate, Kim. And and I look back now, after having after that did resolve itself finally after four years, that what happened if my future self today, like here I am today, if I could have transported myself today back to this struggling young college boy who's sitting on a staircase wanting to end his life, like, hey John, this is me. I got more wrinkles. I know you might. I might look a little familiar to you, but this is your future self, and I want you to know that you're going through a difficult thing. I acknowledge this, and I can't tell you how this is going to end or when it's going to end because you need to go through that experience to gain the character to get to the next phase of your life. I can't give you the punchline on that, but know this: that as you get through this, as you go through this crisis. And there's more crisis than just during the midlife phase of life, right? As you go through this, man, there's another side of this. You are going to go places and see people and do things and experience things. And the, the life that you're going to get to live, you just hang in there, kid, because it's going to be friggin' amazing. And if so, if we could do that in our own lives as people, if our future selves could come to us and transport to save us in those dark moments,
0: Can you imagine <laughs> it'd be so amazing
1: i'm I'm kind of losing my um composure here for a second, but i i it would save us it would help us understand just how amazing this life can be, and those dark experiences are mandatory in order to get to the next phase of a more enlightened human being. You must go through those. You must be willing to embrace that pain. You must have that experience. And then comes the next level. Then that's only when you get to level up.
0: Yeah, I, that's that's really, really profound. And it gave me chills when you're talking about talking to your younger self. I just to be able to reach out, it reminds me of what all the kids are going through right now during the pandemic. And for a lot of them, they don't have the point of reference that, this is something you're going through and it will be better at some point. And for a lot of kids just in general, they just don't have that that life history to be able to say, yeah, it's going to get better and I'm going to do these amazing things and this will be in the rear of your mirror in no time. But it's hard to see that perspective. It would be really yeah. wonderful if we all could go back and tell our younger selves, it's going to be awesome. Just hang in there. You have no idea how amazing it's going to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and that's, but that's something those kids can, they can learn that. And, and and I talk about that in the book in terms of writing our own eulogies. Like what was this child, this, this 16 year old child who's in um, the high school or like what, tell me what your life would represent. If, if your best friend were to tell your story at your funeral, tell us what that life would be like. What would you want it to be like? And so they could go through these exercises, these children who are struggling, who need therapy, man, there's going to be so much therapy necessary after we get out of this crisis, not just for these parents, but for all these kids, some of them who have been, you know, single children in in homes where parents are working. They're just like been prison for the last year. They're going to need someone to sit down for them and then help them understand and write down what this future self of them could look like, because that'll give them hope and give them direction.
0: That's a great idea. And yeah, it has been rough and it's been rough for everybody, the teachers, the parents, and a lot of people lost their jobs because they couldn't keep up with doing both. So yeah, it's been, it's Just been a rough year. Thank God it's changing now, right? Yeah, and a lot yeah. of people lost their lives. Let's not forget that either. So like your mom, um, tell me about your magazine, your, your Max Life magazine. Tell me about that.
1: Well, Max Life is the the coaching program that's built around this book, but the magazine was initial, was originally called Midlife Magazine. They named it Midlife Magazine and I had kind of a kind of a a change in direction of the name, not the narrative or the conversation, but I had so many people and it was mostly men, Kim. I don't, I think this is kind of the vulnerability of men of not just trying to masking their pain and, and their suffering. But I would tell them the name of my company, midlife magazine. And then I'd have these guys kind of joking with each other and elbowing each other saying, Oh, you're going through a midlife crisis. Are yeah, yeah. Uh, you buying a new car and you got a new girlfriend? And these guys would kind of joke. And these guys, these guys look just, I don't know, I don't, how do I say this kindly? These are guys who definitely needed to hear my message. But because of the name, I, I was already behind the eight ball with really trying to explain like how amazing this message that could help them through their difficulties. So I changed it. I changed the name from sure. Midlife Magazine to Live Extra. And Live Extra had more of a, an empowering away from this idea of the midlife narrative of like live life extra. And that nothing changed in terms of anything that I was mentioning, but it was all about helping people realize that there are so much to experience and to do and to live and to enjoy. And so I wanted to inspire them to do that through this message. So the name of the company changed to live extra and the, and the website is liveextra.net.:
0: Okay. So we'll make sure we have that in the show notes for everybody. Live extra.net. It's, it's a, it really gets your attention. There's a lot of neat stuff going on there. So thank you. How long did it take you to write your book?
1: Six years. Yeah, it was six, a six years, six long years process. And I, again, started from conversations with that psychiatrist and kind of putting down notes. I probably re- revised it. I'm such a control freak, Kim. So I probably wrote it 30, 30 times. And just had had to get to a point where I, I really felt like it was a product that if it was the only book that I ever wrote, that it would be something of great value to to my reader. And um, I wrote it, like you said, from an engineer standpoint, because you know when I write a technical paper, everything had to be referenced. So there's almost 200 technical references in the book. And the idea was... Is, When I read these self-help books for some people, I realize that there's no possible way that they can fill a book 300 pages and not give credit to somebody else. I mean, even PhDs, you know, who have one specific one small concept that they're bringing to humanity have hundreds of technical references that back up that one idea that they're now showcasing. That's impossible. And it's unprofessional. And I think it's and it's and it's illegal for them not to give credit where credit's due. So my book is chock full of doctors and professionals, psychiatrists uh, and all sorts of, of, of people who who back up the message that I'm trying to share. So that's kind of how it was written was. And I think that probably was the challenge of the book, Kim, was all the research that had to be done was to make sure that it was not the John Tang show again, but really backed up by science and by by all the knowledge that's been out there for many, many years. And incidentally, in the research, I realized that this midlife phase is the least researched of all phases of a person's life. Yeah, you brought that up.
0: Yeah, that was interesting. It's a huge portion of life, too, so...
1: And, I, and I'm floored by that. With all the things that are going on for us during this phase, like why aren't there people researching that? So in a way, I feel like this book was a, maybe a, contributed in some small part towards that research to compile that information in one spot, a clearinghouse of information that could help men and women. So,
0: Yeah, certainly a catalyst for people who are reading it.
1: I mean, I would love for people to consider the book. And heromindset.net is the landing page for the book and a, a little bit of a bio on who I am and some reviews of people who have read the book and share their own feedback. So hero mindset.net is where people can learn more of on the message. And, and certainly if, it, if they don't think it applies to them directly to be able to share it with other people and to get the message out, if they know someone who is struggling or perhaps maybe is kind of, hit that impasse in their own lives of like, what do we do next? I think having a map, a clear direction, first of understanding where you are and where to go next is invaluable. So.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, as you said, are struggling and they don't know that they're struggling or they do know, but they figure they can handle it on their own. So to have somebody point things out along the way for them to make it easier and nobody needs to reinvent the wheel. There's plenty of people who can help you find your way. That's right that's great yeah so do you have any advice that you would give to somebody who's in your shoes
1: well I think um, one of the things that I, I tell my very closest relations is when they're in a difficult situation to always get back up I know that sounds cliche I use the analogy of Rocky you know who's always just getting pounded on and gets up and and he gets up and he doesn't every time he gets back up he doesn't look he looks worse than the last time he fell down mm-hmm. but this is really that difficult aspect of of being committing to do that and to really never quitting as miserable as it might feel through some of those difficult times. Like she was helping these two parents through one dementia and, and losing my mother mourning, the loss of my mother Kim before she even died because I wasn't even talking to her anymore. Yeah, It wasn't her like mourning the loss of my mother while she's still alive, handling her finances and all her medical appointments Dealing with all of these caregivers and, and resources who were so impersonable, or so so impersonal and cold, and mm-hmm. and and matter of fact about you know that's just their daily life, but it wasn't for me. And having oh, yeah. to having to take these four kids and with their homework assignments and all the challenges of growing of growing up, and trying to maintain a relationship with my wife and 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 keep a relationship together where. You know, I wasn't strained and looking for an extramarital affair or or something that was going to then just implode my own, my own life. There's so many pitfalls and things that can take men and women out during this phase of life. This is max chaos. And, and and ultimately in the end is being able to just stay the course to not give up, to keep just getting up, keep getting back up when they fall down and, um, that's kind of where I'm at, you know. I, I I would like to say that I figured the whole midlife experience out, but I'm deep in its throes. I'm in the trenches. I'm still muddied and bloodied. But what I do have that so many people don't have is I have a map. So when I do get off course, just like was your car, when you take the wrong exit on the freeway, that GPS recalibrates and can send you back on course. And so this map helps you when you take that detour or Or if you do do something that is uncharacteristic, make an uncharacteristic bad decision, we're human. Those kind of things are going to happen. Bad, bad things are going to happen that you might not feel good about or feel proud about, but you can still recalibrate. And this map can help you to get back on course to help you to get where you want to be in life. At the end of the day, you know, we, we are all humans trying to get through this life and we only have one life to live. I was in London or I was in England uh, several years ago when I went to the burial place of Shakespeare. He's buried inside a cathedral with his wife, and I thought to myself, well, this man, you know, who has, for generations, he has enlightened English literature, like the movies and the books that we read, the 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 amount of knowledge that he has given to all of us, but he's dead he's gone. Everything that he's done was done a long time, was done centuries ago. And that's all there was to be written upon William Shakespeare from him, you know, on his own, on his own hands. And the same thing applies to us as men and women through this life. You, this is it. There's, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is your life. You are on the stage and the lights are on. You got to make the most of what you have to work with. And it'll all be over sooner than we all want, you know, and hopefully the, the those final years of our life are not in morbidity where we, you know, we don't know what we're doing and we're, we're, we're locked up in a, in a nursing home. That's just a terrible, terrible place to be. Here is the time to take care of our health, to get exercise, to care for ourselves, to really to, the priority to put the oxygen mask on ourselves with the planes going down before you help other people so you can be of service to them later and that's what i want them to do make the most of this amazing phase of their life and in the end i really believe that midlife is the best phase yet of a person's life like all the stars can align to all the experiences and the the wisdom and the connections and perhaps a little bit of money and your friends and your family all those things can come together right now and you can repackage that to make this a very special thing to reinvent yourself for the next phase. And, and I wish that for all of your listeners to be this one precious life that we get to live, to make it the best that they possibly can to live extra live life extra.
0: Wow. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for all that inspiration. That's really wonderful for you to come on here and bring all that after all the stuff you're dealing with, especially right now, and you're still mourning and, uh, Thank you so much for your time today. Well,
1: I'm so happy to be, I'm honored to be on this call with you, Kim.
0: Thank you. It's a, it's an honor here too. So the book is called Hero Mindset and I will have the link in the show notes and then people can go to liveextra.net and let me spell that for you. It's L-I-V-X-T-R-A, liveextra.net. Again, the link will be on the show notes, but if you are don't want to wait for that. And you want to go ahead and just uh, click on it and, and research it. That's where you can find it. And John's a really amazing guy, he has a lot of accomplishments under his belt and is is not bored, it sounds like. So <laughs> you can get a lot of inspiration from him. And the book is great. It's a very easy read. It's really well done. And there's a lot of information in there and um, some illustrations to it. I think I, I would recommend it. It's got a lot of good information that you may find useful on your own journey.
1: Well, Kim, thank you for sharing me with your audience and for all the work that you're doing for for them as well. And um, again, thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you, Kim. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Pivot and Thrive. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you know anybody who you think would be a great subject for this podcast, please have them contact me. They can go to my website, retirementpurposecoach.com. And at the bottom of that front page, there is a contact section and they can just reach me right there. I'd love to hear from them. I am a certified retirement coach, so if you need any help from me with your retirement so that you have your own success story, you can contact me there as well. I'd like to thank Bokuwa and Wizzy2K for the use of their song, Will You Stay With Me? I have the link to that song in the show notes. Have an excellent rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. I hope it's purposeful. You'll enjoy your life so much better if that's your focus. Bye for now.